2: In this episode, we'll be discussing a subject that requires an examination of the details of alleged violent crimes against children, and as such, I have elected to mark this episode as containing explicit content. Listener be warned. Welcome to a very special, extra-long Halloween edition of Historical Blindness, the Odd Past podcast. Rather than give you a blind spot mini this week, I wanted to make sure we released this crossover episode, which has been in the works for months, in plenty of time for All Hallows' Eve. On this episode, we will be joined by Mike Brown, the master storyteller behind the amazingly entertaining and informative horror story podcast, Pleasing Terrors. Every episode, Mike Brown leads you on a tour of the creepiest, most unsettling stories in history. And it's a pleasure to have him helping me tell some terrifying tales in this episode. If you haven't downloaded his podcast, then you certainly
1: have a Halloween treat ahead of you. Thanks for joining us, Mike. Hi, Nathan. Thank you for allowing me to participate and narrate portions of this episode. For this episode, we'll be exploring a horror trope that has been popular in Hollywood
2: ever since the 1968 Roman Polanski classic, Rosemary's Baby. We'll be looking at Satanism and the historical basis for the widespread belief that there exists a vast conspiracy of devil worshippers who engage in profane and horrifying ceremonies at the behest of their dark lord. Of course, many today still remember the moral crisis of the 1980s, the so-called Satanic Panic, in which allegations of Satanic ritual abuse proliferated. Although the consensus today is that such prevalent secret rituals likely never happened and were instead simply the imaginings of troubled minds encouraged by the suggestions of irresponsible psychologists and law enforcement professionals, there yet remain people, especially among evangelical Christians, who firmly believe that such satanic conspiracies exist to this day and stretch much further back in history than the 80s. The question at hand, then, is the truth of this proposition. What is the history of Satanism? And how accurate are the allegations regarding its rituals and practices? Indeed, has it ever truly existed as represented in popular culture? Thank you for joining us for episode 13, The Spectre of Devil Worship. What the Satanic Panic was seems apparent enough simply from its apt name, a moral panic over Satanism. But without some understanding of this phenomenon's dimensions, its prevalence and most telling characteristics, one cannot begin to appreciate the extraordinary features of this moral panic, which was much more than mere urban legend and gossip among conservative busybodies. This panic involved accusations of widespread physical abuse of children, ritualized in occult ceremonies, with implications of massive conspiracy and organized murder. Some might separate the Satanic panic from the child abuse panic, differentiating between cases alleging only the abuse of children and those that claimed Satanic rituals were a major component. But in truth, most cases of the former kind, like the McMartin preschool case, usually ended up transforming into cases of the latter kind as further allegations came out. These accusations were made by the children themselves, more often than not, during poorly conducted interviews and therapy sessions involving hypnosis, recovered memories, and a great deal of suggestion and leading questions, and were met with astonishing credulity, encouraged by community organizations such as Believe the Children, Those accused of child abuse and the somehow even more nefarious Satanic Ritual Abuse, or SRA, in some cases are even still serving time for crimes alleged during this roundly discredited phenomenon. This panic, at its height, became institutionalized and systemic, with entire wings of law enforcement devoted to rooting it out according to established best practices, with actual specializations cultivated among psychologists who consulted on such cases and with concrete legislation enacted to make it easier for children to make accusations without having to face those they accused or testify in open court. The leading psychiatrist in this field was one Lawrence Pazder. It was he who codified the concept of satanic ritual abuse, and he was the most prominent consultant to law enforcement in cases where it was suspected. Pazder derived his authority on the subject from the fact that he had treated a woman named Michelle, who claimed to have experienced satanic ritual abuse in perhaps the first and certainly the most distressing such case. Pazder published a book on the topic in 1980 titled Michelle Remembers, thereby kicking off the satanic panic. Here's Mike Brown to give you some
1: background on that case and set the tone for our episode. Michelle first came to Dr. Pazder's office in 1976, referred to his psychiatric care by her physician after having suffered a miscarriage. After losing her child, she had continued to hemorrhage without any apparent physical reason, causing her doctor to suspect her troubles were psychogenic. A pretty dark-haired 27-year-old woman, she lay on Pazder's couch, and spoke to the doctor about her dreams. Disturbing dreams about spiders coming out from under skin. A nightmare that Pazder viewed as symbolic of some deep horror she held inside. After some months of therapy, his suspicions were confirmed when a deep well of emotion suddenly burst during a session and Michelle screamed uncontrollably almost half an hour before reverting to a childlike state. Then, over the course of many sessions, she recovered vivid memories of being abused by groups of people, wearing black, holding black candles, in rooms draped in black cloth. During these rituals, she was also confronted with death in horrifying ways. Watching participants tear living cats apart with their teeth, seeing dismembered corpses stitched together and galvanized into twitching by electrical shock, being forced to lie in a coffin with a decaying corpse.
2: Certainly an appalling story, but was it true? Some particulars actually defy belief. Beyond dramatic mystical flourishes like the appearance of such supernatural beings as Satan, mantled in flame, and Mary, clothed in light, there are unusual elements of her recollections that bear the quality of dream or nightmare. Items appearing out of nowhere, giant spiders and bats like images on Halloween decorations, and impossible occurrences such as snakes actually emerging from Michelle's own body. And what were Dr. Lawrence Pazder's reasons for believing them? Simply that he felt their truth. After the book's publication, it became a sensation, and within three years, allegations of SRA were widespread, and the Satanic Panic was in full swing, with specials on major primetime news, magazine, and talk shows helping to spread the fear like a virus. But in 1989, voices of reason began to emerge when an FBI agent published a book critical of law enforcement's handling of such cases. And in 1990, The Mail on Sunday, out of London, published an investigative piece that helped to finally debunk Michelle Remembers. The article profiled Michelle, telling of her life since the book, how she had married Dr. Pazder, and made a career with him on the lecture circuit, Then it tracked down her father, who had quite a bit to say about the veracity of her story. In the book, Pasder says she claimed that her mother introduced her into the satanic cult ceremonies and took part herself as a dazed and passive, perhaps drugged, participant. Michelle's father, however, insisted that her mother was a kind and gracious church-going woman whose memory her daughter had forever befouled he offered some insight into some of Michelle's recovered memories, pointing to the actual, far tamer incidents that may have inspired them, and thereby painted a clear picture of a mentally ill woman taken advantage of by an irresponsible mental health professional that saw a variety of opportunities in her lurid imaginings. So today, the Satanic Panic is dismissed by empirical and reasonable thinkers as a tissue of lies and paranoia. But, of course, the 1980s was not the first time anyone had ever heard of Satanism. Had it ever been real? Had evil people ever sacrificed babies at the altar of the fallen angel Lucifer? In order to consider this question, one must study a great swath of history all the way back to the Middle Ages when the specter of devil worship first appeared. To understand the history of accusations of devil worship, we must go all the way back to the Middle Ages, when the Catholic Church saw a number of reform movements started that the Church proper considered heretical. These were the Gnostic sects and Gnostic traditions, which held that there were two gods, one of the Old Testament and one of the New, and that all flesh was evil, which in some cases led to extreme asceticism and in others to carnal excess. Gnostic traditions had long been the enemy of Catholicism, with the Church having legislated against them almost a thousand years earlier at the Council of Nicaea. A Gnostic sect of the Middle Ages sprang up in Orléans, where it is said some ascetic clergy that encouraged vegetarianism and celibacy also developed some divergent doctrinal ideas Before long, the Catholic Church spread the further accusation that this sect engaged in orgies while the very devil looked on, and that they murdered the children born of these unions, burned them, and used their ashes to turn others into heretics. Here we have one of the first descriptions of what might later be termed a Black Mass, complete with a profanation of the Eucharist by the baking of dead children into the bread. Historians, however, view these allegations as dubious, for such accusations have been around a long time before this, directed first at Jews in the form of the blood libel, and then later at early Christians themselves by the Romans. As the Middle Ages went darkly on, further Gnostic sects appeared, many of these also in France, a place that would see a great many satanic panics of its own throughout history. In the 13th century, the Gnostic traditions resurged in the form of Catharism. These too were devout ascetics who had the audacity to espouse dualist beliefs and criticize the Church of Rome, which, in response, launched military crusades to extirpate them. And when that failed, established a system of inquisition by which suspected heretics could be tortured and burned at the stake. Perhaps to assuage the guilt Inquisitors felt at persecuting what seemed to be fervently religious people, certain legends sprang up around the Cathars. While previously it had been understood that their traditions were of the devil, in that, being heretical, they surely pleased the adversary of God, eventually these notions became quite literal, with rumors of actual devil worship. It was said that the devil approached them in various forms, such as that of a horrible toad. Then he came to them as a cat to be worshipped, which they obliged by kissing the cat's anus a practice, some said, that inspired the name Cathar. After this, in line with previous allegations, it was said they had orgiastic sex and ate any children that issued from these sexual encounters. The medieval Inquisition seemed to find heretics everywhere, and this may be easier to fathom when one considers that the Church forced those condemned as heretics to forfeit all their property not only to their inquisitors, but also as a kind of reward to those who had accused them. And while many of these accused heretics admitted their devil worship to their inquisitors, these confessions were extracted by torture and therefore dubious in the extreme.
0: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
3: History isn't black and white, yet too often it's presented as such. Gray History The French Revolution is a long form history podcast dedicated to exploring the ambiguities and nuances of the past. By contrasting both the experiences of contemporaries and the conclusions of historians, Gray History dives into the detail and unpacks one of the most important and disputed events in human history. From a revolution based on hope and liberty to its descent into the infamous Reign of Terror. There's plenty to discuss, and plenty of grey to explore. One can't understand the modern world without understanding the French Revolution. So if you're looking for your next long-form, binge-worthy history podcast, one recommended by universities and loved by enthusiasts, then check out Grey History, the French Revolution today. Or simply search for the French Revolution.
2: The Inquisition did not disappear with the Cathars either. In the early 14th century, the king of France, Philip the Fair, accused a very prominent religious military order called the Knights Templar. This order had been established after the First Crusade to provide protection to Christians making pilgrimage to the Holy Land and was approved as an official order by the Catholic Church itself. Nevertheless, the Inquisition responded to King Philip's accusations with alacrity, and the confessions that emerged from the Templars' trial painted the picture of a truly diabolical society. There were, of course, the traditional charges leveled against heretics, that of dishonoring the cross and engaging in licentious sex, which as a fraternal organization was alleged to be sodomy. They were even accused of worshipping a cat like the Cathars. But it is another accusation of idolatry which has proven the most long-lived and damning. The Knights Templar were accused of worshipping an idol in the form of a head that was named Baphomet at their trial. And ever since, this has become an alternate name for the devil alongside Satan, Lucifer, and Beelzebub. But what was this Baphomet, really? Based on some descriptions of it as a bearded head, it has been suggested that it was as innocent as an image of Christ, and variously, based on a similarity between the names, it has been identified with Muhammad. But the idol was also described as being many-headed or having multiple faces, which might suggest a depiction of the Trinity or the dualism of Gnostic thought. However, the fact is there doesn't appear to even be any proof that this image, whatever it was, had even been venerated by the Templars. For any number of relics representing a variety of traditions may have been discovered in the temple of this order, perhaps acquired during the Crusade and kept as curiosities, or perhaps deposited there by someone else. It was, indeed, common practice for the Knights Templar to store and protect the valuable property of merchants, and noblemen alike. And they had become a kind of medieval bank, a fact that many historians suggest is the true reason for the accusations Philip the Fair made against them. The king was in dire financial straits, a fact that had precipitated riots that had driven him to take refuge with the Templars themselves. By leveling accusations against the wealthy Templars, accusations he knew they would confess to under torture, Philip essentially arranged the redistribution of their wealth to himself and the church, and his gambit succeeded. Though most of the Templars thereafter recanted their confessions, they were burned at the stake regardless. Already one detects a pattern, one that should be familiar to even the lay student of history, that of the quote-unquote witch hunt. And in the 15th century, we have the European witch craze itself, During which the Inquisition asserted that women, frequently midwives, actually flew by night astride their enchanted broomsticks to sabbats, whereat they engaged in promiscuous sex with each other as well as with demons, eating the children that issued from these unholy unions, of course, and performing heinous magic to do mischief against the god-fearing, destroying their crops and sickening their children. There was, indeed, almost no misfortune that could not be blamed on the evil doings of local women. In order to give a clearer picture of the devil worship and satanic rituals alleged of these witches, here again is Mike Brown to describe a sabbat, as it was first recorded in the Compendium Maleficarum, an Italian witch-hunting manual published 120 years after the scene it details.
1: In 1594, a young woman from Aquitaine is reported to have stood trial before the Parliament of Bordeaux. Described as appearing intelligent, she confessed, without being subjected to any torture, to her corruption by a particular man, who had led her to a field and drawn a circle upon the ground while reading aloud from a black book. After this ritual, A great black goat, with a black candle burning between its horns, appeared in the company of two women and another man, this one wearing the vestments of a priest. The goat spoke, inquiring about her, and her corruptor answered, saying that she had been brought there to become one of the goat's subjects. The girl from Aquitan described numerous subsequent rituals in the field some of which appeared to be a profane reenactment, or mockery, of the Mass. The first recorded description, in fact, of the Black Mass. In this ceremony, their corrupted priest raised a slice of turnip dyed black in place of the Eucharistic host and offered a chalice filled with water rather than wine. In place of holy water, each was anointed with the diabolical goat's urine and the rite concluded with every witch reporting on the spells, curses, and poisons that they had used against unsuspecting innocents. A
2: dark and disgusting rite, if it were true. But of course, if one were to believe such a tale despite the incredible detail of the talking goat, one has to confront the problem of how and why such accusations were made and spread, and how such confessions were extracted almost invariably this was by means of torture. Now, in this instance, we have the claim that the confessor was not subjected to torture, but regardless, when torture was so liberally resorted to as a means of drawing out what inquisitors wanted to hear, it was no less a factor when only a threat. This girl of Aquitaine may have given the inquisitors the tale of an awful sabbat that they expected just to avoid torment. In this way, Torture, whether it be applied or merely threatened, corrupts all testimony. But these days, with Western culture's modern fascination with the witch craze, the reasonable judgments of historians have prevailed upon public imagination, such that most now accept witch hunts for what they were. We understand that these so-called witches were midwives and innocent old women caught in webs of lies and accusations made by townfolks looking for scapegoats as well as by other accused looking to save their own skins, literally. On some occasions, as well, we see that herbal healers were seen as brewers of potions and casters of spells and curses, the witch at the cauldron, as it were, when in reality they were little more than mixers of ointments and makers of poultices, There is evidence as well that these herbalists dabbled in the use of hallucinogenic drugs derived from herbs such as hemlock, nightshade, and mandrake. These were likely to cause illness when ingested orally, but could be safely taken by applying it to the mucous membranes of the female genitals. Their applicator of choice? A broomstick greased with their hallucinogenic ointment. This they would straddle naked, and in their minds they soared beyond the clouds. Thus, some witches confessing to their nightly flights on broomsticks may have been telling the truth as they understood it, but they appear to have been guilty only of substance abuse rather than of devil worship. Here, at the height of the witch craze and the medieval inquisition, we shall end part one of our examination of the specter of devil worship. Already we can discern a pattern of false accusations and pious outrage resulting in the spread of rumors of diabolical rituals and the veneration of evil. Can it be that the entire phenomenon never existed? Is it possible that purposeful distortion of the truth in combination with innocent credulity has led to the perpetuation of a vast legend throughout history? Or were there cases of actual devil worship and genuine demonic sorcery? Join us on Halloween for part two, in which we'll dive even deeper into the history of devil worship. Thanks for listening to Historical Blindness, the Odd Past Podcast. We're a listener-supported podcast and are so grateful for the generous support of our partners, Michael and Marina. If you'd like to contribute directly to the production of this podcast, visit historicalblindness.com donate or patreon.com historicalblindness, where you can learn more about our reward levels for monthly contributions. To learn more about the topic of this episode, as well as previous episodes, visit historicalblindness.com books, where you can find a reading list with a selection of great sources and related reading. There you'll also find a link to my book, Manuscript Found, a historical novel elucidating another grand hoax and false narrative in history, promulgated by Joseph Smith in The Book of Mormon. If you follow any links to Amazon from the website and make any purchases, you'll be helping to support the show. You can also support the show by visiting the store on the website and clicking through to order historical blindness merchandise through Redbubble. Additionally, you can show your goodwill by giving us a glowing rating and review on Apple Podcasts and by following us on Twitter and Facebook. Some music on this episode was provided by film score composer Alex Kish. To hear some demos of his film score and soundtrack compositions, visit alexkishmusic.com. Special thanks goes out to Mike Brown of the Pleasing Terrors podcast for making these episodes more creepy. Make sure you listen to Mike's podcast this Halloween. Until part two, keep scanning those October skies for witches riding their brooms.